you have your Bibles this morning and you want to turn to Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 33. Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 33. Uh, we, um, as you will see this morning, our, our, the sermon this morning is titled, Clearer Picture. Uh, it's a clear picture. One of the things that I really enjoy doing um, is photography. And you can see on, on the picture, it's on the screen, there is a, a lens through which you can see the mountains, but everything else is kind of blurry. And I have one of, one of my lenses here. And one of the things you'll notice... If you take pictures and, and if you look at professional photography in particular where you'll see that the background kind of fade off like it does in that picture. To do that you have to have the right lens and the right camera but at the same time you have to be focused on the right thing. And it, as you turn, this is the, the focus ring, a lot of cameras now are, are auto-focused but as you turn it, the image if, as you get closer to the focus point will get more clear. Uh, it may be the same, it's very much the same as many of you who probably wear glasses. If you were to not be wearing those glasses would not be able to see anything. I am one of those people, I wear contacts. And if I did not have them in or have um, my, my contact, my glasses on, I would not be able to see anything. I'm, I have very bad eyesight. But today in the passage we're going to be looking at, we're going to see um, Peter in particular and the disciples coming to a clearer picture of who Jesus is and, and a better understanding as they focus in on him and see what he's done and come to understand more of who he is. But before we get to this passage, before we get there, we're only spending six weeks in Mark. There's a lot of things that happen in Mark. So we're, we're skipping over a lot of things. So I don't want to neglect that and, and summarize a little bit of what has happened since, we, since the last sermon that we had. So Jesus has begun to minister to many people. He teaches and speaks in parables. You know, some of the ones that, that were in Mark that you may know are the parable of the sower, the parable of the mustard seed. Uh, and he constantly had to explain this to the disciples. I think this is very important. The disciples were not theological experts. They were not uh, expert scholars and great thinking religious minds when they were with Jesus. And oftentimes Jesus were like, how do you still not get what I'm trying to tell you? Jesus calmed the storm when they were on the, on the sea and, and the waves were high and there was a storm. Jesus calmed the storm. He drove out demons. He went to his hometown Nazareth and was rejected by the people there. John the Baptist is killed. Jesus feeds the 5,000. He walks on water, heals many people, corrects and rebukes the Pharisees, and he feeds the 4,000. And right after he does this, this is right before this passage here, he says to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. And, and obviously what he means is the, the teachings of them. But the disciples, here is how much I want you to understand that they did not get a lot of times what Jesus was doing. Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. And they look at each other and say, we don't have any bread. What, what does he mean? We don't have any bread. And in verse 21 he says, don't you understand yet? So he, he is almost baffled at some points at how little the disciples seem to understand. I'm reminded of, of the, the videos you may have seen that are viral at times of, of a family on Christmas morning opening a present and the kids will open up something. I saw one where they open up and it's a suitcase and they're like, oh, that's cool, a suitcase. And 
and it's a Disney suitcase, and then it takes a little while, and they finally understand that they're going to Disney World. That's what it seems like the disciples are going through here. They're getting pieces and getting things, but they're still not understanding exactly what is happening. So now, as we look at our passage in, in Mark 8, 27, 33, that's where we're at. The disciples have not understood what's going on, and then Jesus asks them some questions, and we'll see what happens here. Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They answered him, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he strictly warned them to tell no one about him. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, this time we can come together and look at your word. And I pray that you would help reveal to us what it means to follow you, what it means to know you, and that you would help us to see you more clearly today, to grow closer to you as we look at, at what it means to know who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the question that they are dealing with is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And we want a true answer to this question, not a false one. And that's important that there is absolute truth to be known, especially there is absolute truth to be known about God and who he is and about Jesus and who he is. We live in a time where there is a lot of question about what truth is. There's subjective truth and objective truth, and these are realities. There is such thing as subjective truth. Subjective truth is a, is a truth claim that is something that is a matter of perspective, feelings, or opinions. This is when you, sta when you state something that you feel, and, and that is how you feel about it. And there are times where that is about the, the most you can have, which, which sports team is the best. Now, if you're saying best as far as uh, accomplishments, it's easy to look at different metrics and say those things. But if you're looking at which one is your favorite, what you prefer, or, or which hamburger, or, or, or any of these types of things, those are subjective truths. It's based upon your opinion. But then there is objective truth. Objective truth is something that is true no matter of how you feel about it. So an example of these kinds of truth it could be a rainy day. Think about a rainy day. A subjective truth about rainy days would be rainy days are the best or rainy days are the worst. That's your feelings about it. It's your perspective. Objective truth is it's raining outside or it's not raining outside. It's one or the other. doesn't matter if you like them or you don't like them. That's true one way or the other. So when it comes to Jesus, there is objective truth. There is absolute truth about who Jesus is. And he makes objective claims. It matters very much that we get this right. And we do live in a time where they, there are people that would put a subjective truth, personal thoughts and feelings, into places where objective truth needs to be. They would say, what's true for you is true for you, but what's true for me 
is true for me. You can believe what you want, but I believe what I want, and it's all fine. Well, there are times where that can be very dangerous. I want you to imagine there's a, you're driving down the road, and there's a bridge, bridge out ahead sign. How foolish would it be for a person to say, well, that bridge might be out for you, but it's not out for me. They would be in for a very rude awakening. And the reality is, is that if people get this question wrong, who is Jesus? They're in for a very rude awakening. And so the first question that Jesus asks the disciples is, who do people say that I am? And, Jesus is, and their answer is John the Baptist, some people say. Some people say Elijah. And other people say one of the prophets. So maybe they thought that this is John the Baptist raised back to life. Or one, it's one of the prophets that had come again. Particularly Elijah as he was taken bodily to heaven. That he had returned. And, and there is Old Testament prophecy that he would return and, and, and usher in the day of the Lord. Now there was also people that had other statements that they didn't mention here. He was a false prophet. He was crazy. A lunatic. That's what, the, that's what the Pharisees said about him. That he was demon possessed. Many people had thoughts about Jesus. Based on what they thought about Jesus. What do people say about Jesus today? And we're talking about other perspectives of who Jesus is. There are many people that have thoughts about Jesus. The, the, and there are people that would claim Christianity as their religion that have very different views about who Jesus is. Jehovah's Witnesses say that he was an angel before coming to earth, denying the divinity of Jesus. Mormons believe that, that Jesus is a distinct deity separate from the Father. That Jesus wasn't the Christ, or some people say that Jesus wasn't the Christ or simply was a good teacher. Some say that in, in progressive Christianity is one of the, the major... Um, Areas of, of false teaching today, progressive Christianity that will basically not resemble Christianity when you get to the root of it. They say that God didn't send Jesus to die, but Jesus died because he was a political revolutionary. That Jesus came to set people free, as the, the Jewish people at the time thought, that he was coming to overthrow the Roman government and that he just died in the process. Or some people say that Jesus is, a, is almost like a blessing ATM to, to, to withdraw blessings at our leisure, to go to when we want something. There are so many false teachings about Jesus and who he is. There have been second comings of Jesus that people have professed to be the second coming of Christ. These are all false teachings of who Jesus is. They're not right and they lead to a place that is not God. They lead somewhere else God because they are not the truth about who Jesus is. So after their answer, he asks them, he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter boldly answered, you are the Messiah. And he charged them to keep it to themselves. And in a different gospel, in a different account, Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, because this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father. This, in, in, in that point and in here, Jesus is, is confirming that he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the one come who 
they still, even though they had a clearer picture of who Jesus was, still did not fully understand what he was there to do. Now here's the most important question you can answer in your life. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? This is the question that salvation rests upon because understanding that Jesus is the Messiah and died in your place so that you could be saved is what you must understand so that you can repent and believe and call on His name. The Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Understanding that Christ died for you, came and lived the life of the most important thing, the most important thing. And, and having the same confession that Peter made here that you are the Messiah, you are the are the Lord of my life and I want to follow you is the most important decision you can make in your life. If you have not made that decision, today is the day to make that decision. You know, C.S. Lewis said there are only three things that Christ could be. He's either a liar. Okay? So think about the things Jesus claimed. When they said, you are the Messiah, he said, yes, I am. He said, I am the Messiah. He claimed to be the Son of God. What they killed him for was claiming to be like God. So Jesus very much claimed through Scripture to be God. So he's either a liar. He knew he was not God, but lied about it. You can, and you have probably seen examples of that in your life where there are people who will know something's not true, but then they will falsify it for their own advantage. Now that didn't seem to work out very good for Jesus here because he was crucified. You would think that he would have wanted more fame and acclaim if he was a liar. Instead he lived a life that led him to the cross. and didn't speak on his own behalf when he couldn't make a defense. Or he's a lunatic. He's crazy. He genuinely thought he was who he says he was, but he wasn't. Well, I don't know many crazy people who are able to rise from the dead. And that leaves one option. That Jesus Christ is Lord. He is who He says He was. And He, is, he died on the cross for your sins and rose again and is alive today. And so that is the most important thing that you can do in your life. Is to answer that question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? And to answer in the, affirmative, in the affirmative as Peter did, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Now, as you will see, that is not where our, our scriptures stop today. Because I think that this second interaction is very important and tied very directly to what we just read. Understanding who Jesus is is only the Jesus is the Christ is only the beginning of our walk with Him. There are too many times where people will, will we will want to get them saved, we want to get, see them be baptized, and to, oh, we, we saw so many people be saved. I've, I've heard that story many times of revivals or, or maybe Billy Graham crusades where how many people were saved. And that's a wonderful thing. That's the most important thing. But it's important to realize that is the beginning of a life walking with Christ. The beginning of a life following Him. 
Our salvation rests only upon understanding, believing, repenting, and following Jesus. But if we want to be faithful, it's only the beginning. It's only the beginning of our understanding of who Jesus is. So as soon as Peter makes this, this confession and he understands, they know now, they finally get it, all this point beforehand where he said, do you still not get it? Do you still not understand? They get it. Now they understand. And he begins to teach in verse 31. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this. So what we see here, all up to this point, Jesus comes, calls the disciples, begins his ministry, performs many miracles, drives out demons, gives sight to the blind, the, the mute speak. He does amazing things no one else around them can do. Through it, through the disciples, he is the Messiah. And only once they understand that does he begin to speak openly about why he truly has come. He begins to speak openly that he must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders of the chief priests and scribes, be killed and rise after three days. Which, this makes it a little bit strange, the reaction of the disciples later. He's speaking so openly and gives them the plan. This is the plan of what is to happen. This was always the plan. Jesus was to go to the cross, die for our sins. This was not an accident. This was not something that, that was unforeseen. God knew. Jesus knew why he was here. He knew what would happen. And he begins to share it with his followers. And that's the reality that we will also encounter in our lives, is that when we come to salvation, when we come to know Jesus, to realize who he is, to repent and believe and follow him, that is only the beginning of our understanding of who God is. If you only know now what you knew at the moment of your salvation, that's a very, very sad thing. If you're like me, I was eight years old when I was saved. If all I know now about God and who He is and how He interacts in my life and what He's done for me and what He wants to do for others is what I knew and could comprehend at eight years old, I have not done a very good job of following, learning coming to know who Jesus is. You will come to know things as you follow him that are, 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 will reveal to you. There will be times where you come to know truths about who God is. You will experience his love in a new way. And you will, it'll almost feel like, compared to what you knew before, that you, that you almost never knew him. There may be times you have that. When I was called to ministry, I, I had such an experience with God and an understanding of what grace was in a completely new way and understanding what He had done for me that when I reflected on my salvation, I was like, well, did I really know Him then? Thankfully, I had people that helped me to walk through and to understand that my answer to the question, who do you say I am, was the right answer. I knew Him when I was saved. But when I was called to ministry, and in many times since then, I came to know him in a much deeper way. If you think about an iceberg, when you see the top of the iceberg, you realize it's there. But only once you begin to explore it and look what's below the surface do you see the depths and the vastness of what you're exploring. God is so much greater than we can fathom. He's so much greater than we can comprehend. And to think that we will ever fully understand him 
is a foolish thought on our part. So we will understand more about who God is after our salvation. There's also the reality that we're not perfect at salvation. So Peter understands the most essential thing to understand about who God is. Jesus begins to share with him new things that he had not known before. And what's his response? To rebuke Jesus. I want you to think about the thought process that must have been going on in Peter's head there. You are the Messiah, the promised one of God. Now I'm going to tell you how what you're doing is wrong. I'm going to tell you how you shouldn't be talking like that. Because Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to die. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to suffer. Peter pulls him aside. You can't be talking like that. What are you doing? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I know it may seem crazy to think that we would ever rebuke Jesus. But when we live our lives as Christians and we sin, we fail to be obedient, essentially that's what we're doing. We're looking at what God had said, saying, no, I don't think that's right. I think I would rather do this instead. Well, you may be calling me to do this thing, but I would rather do this instead. Now, I don't think you're right, God. I don't think you're right, Jesus. You can't be calling me to do that. Or, well, I really like doing this thing, so I'm not going to stop. No, you can't be right about that. When we fail to follow in obedience, we do the same thing in many ways that Peter does. Peter rebukes Jesus, says, you're not right, you're wrong. When we follow Christ, we need to seek to follow Him, to submit ourselves to Him, even when we don't understand, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. We are still in the flesh. We will make mistakes. We are imperfect and in need of sanctification. Those are two words that are, I think are, are so important to understanding the Christian walk. There's justification. When we follow Christ... When we make this confession, we follow him. We say, I'm a sinner. I need you. I, I believe what you did. I believe you died for me. We repent and believe. We are justified by grace through faith and saved. We have security at that point. But after that, we are sanctified. A process through which we are made and conformed to look more like Christ. And it's messy and from the outside looking in, it doesn't always look like it's happening. But God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is making us more like Christ. So we will make mistakes. Peter immediately made a mistake. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. If you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. And this is something we still, still deal with today. God's concerns versus human concerns. The question we need to ask is, what exactly was Peter concerned about? Why was he rebuking Jesus? I think it's clear that he still fully didn't understand what was going on. He had a better idea. He had a clearer picture, but he didn't have all of it. He didn't understand why Christ was there. I think there's maybe one of two reasons that I can, under, I can guess from this. It doesn't tell us why he was rebuking. He doesn't say what he said. 
But it could be that Peter had still the idea of a militant Messiah. The Messiah that would come, free them from their Roman oppressors, and establish again Israel as it once was. That is what a lot of the Jewish people thought the Messiah would be. It's possible that's what he thought. Or it's also possible that he had come to love Jesus, love following, love being with him. And in his mind and in his desires, he couldn't bear the thought of him dying and him leaving, him not being with them any longer. Either way, Jesus makes it clear that whatever he was concerned about was man's concern. So what are man's concerns? I think man's concerns are anything that we are worried about or think about that may seem good to us. Anything we're worried about or, or think about that may seem good to us. Now, at times, that may line up with what God's concerns are. But often, it may not. And it may not always be bad things. It's very clear and easy when it's sinful things that are man's concerns. We're concerned about things of the flesh, things that we desire that are wrong. But what about good things? Was it wrong in and of itself for, for Peter not to want Jesus to die, to have affection for Jesus? But he's rebuked as though he is Satan. A good thing can be a bad thing if it takes the place of a better thing. I said a lot of things there. So a good thing can be a bad thing if it takes the place of a better thing. Okay? So I want you, I want you to think about um, uh, uh, what, what it might be that could be a good thing in your life. What things do you enjoy? What things are good, are, are noble, right, in your life? But if it comes in the, the way of a, of a better thing, it is not a very good thing. I think this is why so many times there are uh, uh, many aversions to, to leisurely activities, right? It is not wrong to go fishing. It is not wrong to, to spend some time relaxing. It's not wrong to take a nap. God commanded us, we talked a little bit last week about the Sabbath, to have time of rest. But what happens if you have a major responsibility? Work, caring for your family, something you promised that you would do. But instead of that, you go fishing. Instead of that, you take a nap. Instead of that, you do anything else. Well, that thing that is good and may be enjoyable and may be relaxing and is not wrong has then become a bad thing because it has taken the place of something more important. Anything that we do that comes between following God faithfully is then a bad thing. That's hard to swallow because it's really easy to justify it's really easy to say, well, you know, I really like this thing. It's not bad. But is it the best thing? Is it what God would want you to do? It seems kind of, it's kind of almost become a hokey thing to ask, what would Jesus do? But in reality, if we would ask that about our daily lives, we would live a lot more like Christ did. Christ did like Christ calls us to. What would Jesus do? What is God concerned with? 
You see, Jesus knew that God was concerned with his sacrifice for all, that so, so all might have the chance to be reconciled to God. He knew that it was more important for him to go to the cross and to suffer than him to remain with the disciples. Even fast-forwarding to the garden, he knew it was worth it to go through the pain and the suffering, even though he did not at that moment want it. He said, if it's possible, let this cup pass, but not my will, but your will. And that is the attitude we must come to have in our interactions with God. Well, God, I really want to do this. I really, this is the plan I have for my life. And if this is what you will let me to do, and this is where you'll let me to serve and let me to live, please let it be, but not my will, but your will. This Wednesday, we, we spoke about making adjustments in the study we've been doing. We all must make a major adjustment when we are saved from what we want and what we desire and what we are concerned with to following God and what He desires and what He is concerned with. To being focused on how to live a life for Christ, how to share what Christ has done with others, how to live a life that glorifies God rather than one that we enjoy the most, what makes us the most comfortable, what helps us to live a life that other people respect. What things hinder you? What are the manly human concerns that hinder you from following God most fully? There are so many things it could be. Is it comfort? Looking at, at, at what God calls you to do, be like, well, financially, I don't know that I can live that way. We have an opportunity to share the gospel with, with people all around the world through these shoeboxes. I have no doubt in my mind that we could easily, as a church, fill a hundred shoeboxes and send them to share the gospel. Because it's a matter of our perspective. Are we concerned with having that extra, however much it may be, $9 for shipping and however much it costs to pack a box? Are we concerned with having that in our bank account or someone hearing the gospel? Are you concerned with being comfortable and doing the things you want to do, living the schedule that you want it to be, or with living a life that glorifies God and, and shares the gospel and, and glorifies Him with your life? What are you focused on? What you want or what God wants? And if it's what you want, that's not the right thing. I want you to think what we might be able to accomplish for God if every person in this room would lay aside human concerns and work together for the glory of God to expand His kingdom and share the good news of Jesus. What would it look like if every single person in New Bethel laid aside everything that hinders them and fully devoted themselves to following God with their life? That may not mean everybody's going to be a missionary. It's not going to mean that everybody's going to quit your jobs. But what it does mean is that when you live your life, you are a light into darkness. That story of that young man, can you imagine living in such darkness? The death and destruction around him. Let me tell you, there are people today in this community that everywhere it seems they look, they see nothing but darkness. 
And there's people that are so comfortable in their life that they're not aware of the darkness around them. The reality is that if they do not know Jesus, if their answer to that question, who do you say I am, if they don't know who he is, they're headed for hell. They're headed for punishment because all people are guilty. And what I want to challenge you with today and, and challenge myself in this church with is what would happen if we would make that our primary concern? Like Jesus, we lay aside the things we may want or others may want or what they may think or what may hold us back and fully sought to follow Him with our lives. Because if we believe He is who He says He was, that should change everything. Because it changed everything for us eternally. So today you must deal with two things. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? If you're here today and you've never answered that question, you may have known, maybe you've known about Jesus, you had an intellectual understanding of Jesus, you've, you've heard stories of who He is, but you've never followed Him. You've never said, God, I'm a sinner, and I want to follow you and be saved so that I can live my life with you, so I can have eternity with you. Today is the day to do that. That's the most important thing you can do in your life. It's to submit and lay down everything you are and follow and accept what Jesus has already done. And the second thing you must deal with, if you've already made that decision, if you can look back with joy and remember the day that Christ saved you, or remember that He had, has saved you, are you focused on God's concerns or man's? Are you focused on what you want or what God wants? And how can you make an adjustment? How can you change where you're going to be a part of what God is doing? To lay down what you want in favor of what God would have you to do. As we begin to sing our, our invitation, I want to challenge you to think through those things. I want to challenge you to follow Christ for the first time or more faithfully today. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for all that you've done. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone that is, is working through anything this morning, whether that is following you for the first time or, or a way they have not been following you faithfully, I, I pray that they would be bold like Peter was in confessing who you are and come down front to, to talk about what it means to follow you or to come down for prayer. Lord, I pray that you would help us to follow you with our life. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Let's stand together.